Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. I have to say, this year has been harder to make mm-hmm. predictions about the following year than any of the years that we've been doing <laughs> predictions on our shows. I would agree with that. I have got hours of research in this. It's and, insane. You know, and I we try to keep it very balanced and have predictions, but also say, well, but why would that maybe not be a prediction, right? right. Just to keep things real and to make sure that we're looking at all angles. It's that whole synchronicity thing, mm-hmm. the Kurzweil theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about that on this podcast before, and you guys can research it yourself. But the idea is that you're going to have a whole bunch of things happen at the same time that are going to essentially evolutionize, you know, revolutionize, mm-hmm. you know, really move humanity forward at a faster pace than we've ever experienced Definitely. before. In, def- in many different areas at the same time. Right. And normally it's easy <clears throat> to come up with real estate predictions because we just mm-hmm. are mired in it every single day. Sure. But now you realize there's this, um, you know, just all the different things you and I have been studying and talking about. We've been wanting to start the show in our 2022 predictions for like two months, yes. right? But it's, it's, it's honest to God, it's super hard. And it's a moving target. And it's a moving target. And, and you're also dealing with, again, you know, this AI thing is really starting to take sure. hold. You're seeing uh, different forms of the cryptocurrency conversation is relevant. The blockchain is relevant. Mm-hmm. Interest rates are relevant. Inflation. Our interest rates are going up. Or are they going down? Inflation. Mm-hmm. Go- and I'll tell you, and uh, you know, you uh, took all of our notes and you put it together. We're going to start this, our 2022 prediction show today. But the one thing that I got the sense of from um, just talking with Peter Schiff last night, actually, mm-hmm. we met him on the beach, actually, mm-hmm. and just uh, having a nice polite exchange with him is I think that all of us are underestimating what the most important topic is going to be of 2022. And it's going to be the effects of inflation mm-hmm. because inflation has more than we talk about the effects on, you know, uh, house prices, all the normal things that are in our wheelhouse. But there are other things that happen during inflationary times historically, which are really fascinating. Yes. For example, mm-hmm. there's been all there's been, unfortunately, there's been uh, recessions and depressions and there's been wars and there's been all kinds of different things the way that people and mostly governments react to inflation mm-hmm. that uh, we could be essentially having to deal with in 2022. Well, and that has become a bit of the wild card of unpredictability. Yeah. How they're going to try and control it or not control it. And then the ripple effects through the economy. Yes. So we're going to be talking about all these points. And guys, I'll give you the over, overarching theme of our 2022 predictions. It's not uncertainty. It's confidence that we're, we are entering yes. into uh, what will feel like a renaissance. But along the way, there are going to definitely be some challenges that all of us are going to have to deal with. And we're, so what Julie and I are going to do is we're doing our show differently, our 2022 predictions. We've done prediction shows for like the past 15 years. And this year's prediction show, we're going to give our prediction and we're going to give a point why we might be wrong. Yes. But before we get there, because this will be a multi-part series, we sure. may even take the whole week to Probably. roll all of this out. So we start with a bit of education. Remember, last week we were talking about why to be positive looking forward in general in life. This is specific to the housing market. So housing market 2022 predictions and beyond. Let's talk about how you even go about projections or predictions. So how does a person actually make predictions about a housing market? Well, there's six major factors which affect predictions. And I think this is probably what we'll cover today. 
There are four major factors, which are always critical. And then there's two more factors, which are sometimes important. So we're going to start with the four major factors, which are demand, supply, or as we all know it, inventory, affordability, and interest rates. And then we're going to talk about the two other factors, which sometimes are, are uh, a factor, enthusiasm for real estate, otherwise known as the American dream, and inflation versus appreciation mixed together, but inflation is prevailing. Definitely not transitory. I think we have established that by now. But let's circle back to the top of the list and understand each piece as it relates to today's market conditions and then how that translates to predictions. Very good. So how does supply and demand actually relate to price? You know, not everybody is super clear on that. So we want to sort out these different factors because predictions, you know, I, I did a lot of research for this and some predictions that just seemed like people were just kind of spewing out bullet points. That's ultimately the problem with any prediction shows sure. and what you and I are, you and I constantly battle with when presenting mm -hmm. on our podcast, making sure that we're pre presenting a balanced approach because yes. obviously we have our biases, right? Sure. You know, we don't want there to be calamity in the housing market and, you know, people, all that. We don't want any of the, We don't want chaos. We don't want chaos, right? But there is going to be, you know, if there are reasons to believe that there's going to be some hardship ahead, we are obligated to tell you guys. And so when we are going through these points, uh, you'll notice that in some of these things, Julie and I are sort of walking the line between, you know, sounding political when we're not trying to sound political. But here's the ultimate issue with this is you guys have to use your own minds and your own willingness to do your own homework on these points that we're making. We'll tell you what we think and why we think it, and then we're gonna leave breadcrumbs as to how we got there. And if you're interested in drilling more down on that, go and do your own work, first principles. That's right, and so our job is to educate you, motivate you, and get you into action. So this piece here, we're starting with the education so that you know where the predictions are coming from and they're not just being spewed out into bullet points, right? So uh, how do supply and demand actually relate to, play, to price? Well, demand is our first factor, and that simply means the number of people who want to buy a house. So who are those people out in the market right now? Well, we have investors, big, small, and institutional. You know, you and I talked about Zillow just sold 2,000 of their uh, Zillow homes to an institutional investor. We have millennials who are at peak home buying age, early to mid-30s. Then we have family formation, growing families. This is known as a fundamental demand. That's something that's important in any housing market, creating that fundamental demand. You and I used to always say people buy houses for normal reasons. Well, that's fundamental demand. If you sell real estate in the Midwest up until maybe the last three <laughs> years, you're, you That'd be about the only reason. Right. You weren't <laughs> experiencing any sort of uh, really noticeable inflation or appreciation. You are seeing people uh, transact for, you know, normal life reasons. And whereas on the coast, people were doing it recreationally. That's right. Okay. So number four in our demand factors, a huge amount of people who are coming up under the 30-somethings. Right. Thus, demand is currently both high and stable. We have four factors creating demand. There's probably more, but those are the prevailing ones. And the one thing also you have to figure into the mix is there's the greatest wealth transfer. I have a feeling I'm going to step on one of your points. That's okay. But there's trillions of dollars that's going to be transferring from baby boomers to their millennial kids. That's right. Unfortunately, Julie and I are a generation In between. X, so <laughs> there's no trillions of dollars coming our way. But the, wealth, no. the largest wealth transfer in the history of humanity is going to start happening as the baby boomers go off to the big bowling alley in the sky. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, that money is going to be flowing back to their children, right? And also to charities and also to other th types of things where they're leaving this money. Well, so, so that would be point number five is simply right. the demographic push and the transference of wealth equals more demand. So again, demand is both high and stable. 
When there is high demand, prices go up. There's not enough to go around, so the market is competitive, favoring sellers. This is why we call it a seller's market. This is how the market has been since about 2010 when the enthusiasm heated back up, rates started to consistently fall, and scarcity of listings became a theme song. And now there's a whole generation who have mm -hmm. grown up believing that listings are scarce. Yes. So I mean, it really is more than a decade of agents that think this is normal. And, and I mean, it has been normal for them. Exactly. For the last, well, 12, you know, now 13 years or mm -hmm. whatever, you're seeing that. But there's also this, it's almost woven into the tapestry of real estate. There's innate FOMO mm -hmm. with a new listing. Yes. And that did not exist prior to the real estate boom. Well, it did, you know, from say, you know, 2006, seven and eight, and then, you know, but prior, really arguably yeah. even 2005, if you're in California. But the reality of it was, is prior to that, when a listing came for sale, there was, that's a nice new listing. But if you but wait it's a time week, to think about it, if you wait two or three yeah. days, there'll be another one for sale. Well, and you know, one of the things that I had kind of forgotten that I made really clear in the research was even in the previous housing boom, prior to the crash, to your point about FOMO, fear of missing out, it wasn't as strong as it is now because of the massive amount of new construction and speculative new construction that was going on. You always had new construction in the back of your mind back then as an option. Well, Julie, really, this goes drills down, and I don't want to get you off your track here, but That's your okay. two more factors are sometimes yeah, we'll important. Enthusiasm for real estate. Mm -hmm. That's really what we're talking about now. Yes. Because there has been a fundamental change. Mm -hmm. and a reestablishment as real estate as part of the American dream Yes, that the real estate crash tried to kill off. It did not. It just made it It did stronger. try to kill it off. And we're going to talk about that uh, as we get into that section. So now remember that most of you guys have only known this high demand seller's market, but when there's low demand and that does happen, it has happened in the past, believe it or not, prices will stay stagnant or sometimes even fall. This is when there is one buyer for each listing, that's a balanced market, or fewer buyers than there are listings, which most of you can't even possibly imagine. That's phone. a buyer's market, but that's when buyers have more control. So it is possible, but no, we're not going to get anywhere near that anytime soon. Now, the question came up, did COVID spike demand? Well, definitely and temporarily. However, the Mortgage Bankers Association shows increasing demand within the past five years, even without COVID. COVID made for some ups and downs, but demand has returned to what it would have been without COVID. This is based on previous charts, graphs, demand trends. Normal demand post-COVID means the demand, again, is staying stable with some additional increase. The housing market will, con market will continue to appreciate as a result. All or, these things are logical, right? Or uh, conflate appreciation with inflation. Inflation, inflation is really what it is. There's natural appreciation, but really at the end of the day, what we're dealing now, and we did a whole podcast on what inflation is, but most importantly, listen to the interview that we did uh, two Wednesdays ago, I think, with Peter Schiff. That was phenomenal. It sorts become, it all out. It's becoming one of our most downloaded and viewed podcasts ever, so go and listen to that one for sure. Absolutely. So that was all having to do with demand. Now, our factor number two, supply, okay, or as you guys know it, inventory. Four to five million homes short of demonstrated demand. Lots of people state that figure. NAR talks about it all the time. Inventory has a long way to go. So you might ask, why is inventory so low? And there's a lot of factors. Number one is housing starts. That's the number of homes being built. It was huge until the recession or housing crash. Builders were building more than the demand was. And that, that's what I was referring to a second ago is, you know, you didn't have such a fear of missing out when there was entire seas of new construction being built without contracts already on them. Point number two, the housing crash. Builders at that point simply quit building. 
abruptly about 2009, 2010. And you and I remember stories when we lived in Las Vegas about entire neighborhoods going into foreclosure. They just stopped building. That was it. A lot they, of them didn't even get finished. They put a chain link fence around the neighborhood and padlock it up and the bank would take it back. And you'd yeah. see all these half-finished houses just sitting there going back to you know, Ugh, gives me chills. Buildings, too. About buildings, they the, used to be called see-throughs. Yeah, but you remember the see-through buildings in downtown Vegas when yeah. we drive through there? Creepy. Remember that huge building that was, the, uh, was, it the it was one? next door to the Win or whatever it yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. And you could see completely through it. Because So people are wondering, well, how is that? It's because it didn't get its windows put nope, in before exactly. it was foreclosed on. Right. And the lights were out. And, you know, even to this day, one of the things that they track in Las Vegas and a lot of the other towns that went through this is the uh, utilities that are not being paid. Mm -hmm. And that tells you it's vacant property. So very interesting. So the builders just stopped building around 2009 and 10. Number three, we're nowhere near that speculative building that we saw during the housing crisis. Again, we're going back to why inventory is so low. Point number four, continuing at this rate, it could take a decade to make up for the missing four to five million homes. Could construction accelerate? Maybe, but then it's only five to eight years instead of a decade to make up for it. And we could get into supply chain problems and cost well, of lumber and all that, that kind of stuff. That, yes. That's the other thing. It's a, uh, a sub point to this. Builders are now having to raise prices because it, we everyone talks about the cost of lumber, lumber and all that stuff, but really where you're seeing the real expense, the real added cost is the cost of the labor. So you're seeing this- If they can even get it. Right. So you're seeing this massive increase in the cost to build a house. And so even as these builders start to, this is the reason more expensive houses are getting built now than lesser expensive houses. Because if the builder can make a 20% margin, let's say on you know a $200,000 house, he's gonna make 40 grand. But if he's gonna do it on a million dollar house, he's gonna make 200 grand. He's obviously gonna build a million dollar house. And with mm -hmm. rates being low, he's gonna have plenty of buyers and a lot of people moving up that have equity. So there's a demand for those types of products and he can make the biggest margins on that. But new construction is not, is not going to decrease in cost. It's going to be, outpacing, out-accelerating resale, which is going to bring resale up even farther as far as um, price inflation. And that goes to one of the reasons why Goldman Sachs is uh, guessing, predicting, mm -hmm. that house prices will inflate by another 16% in 2022. That's right. So why else is there not enough inventory? Well, this is interesting. I read several places that, that uh, some estimate that 30% of the shortage can be attributed to VRBO. That's vacation rental by owner, home away, Airbnb, and other short-term rental sites. Those possibilities didn't exist until fairly recently, certainly not at the scale of today. Empty nester baby boomers are keeping their homes and turning them into rentals, especially in the most popular markets on the coasts in particular, vacation areas. So less inventory as a result. You know, when you and I travel, it's, it's amazing. Even with the scarcity out there, when I look for VRBOs for us to rent, if we're going to be someplace for a week or two, there's tons of possibilities. There's hundreds of listings in some of these towns, Which, right? by the way, that's a great list of people to prospect to. Absolutely. Yeah, we, I, that's <laughs> one of the ways we teach you in our coaching program to build your listing inventory proactively is go after the, uh, the short-term rental sellers because you'll be surprised how frequently they're out of state, don't know what the property's worth, once knowing what the property's worth, would be happily would be happily selling it. Yes, and, and a lot sometimes of, they get tired of taking care of it, goes through a lot of beating, rehab, all that kind of stuff. And I'll show you something else in case you guys don't know this. A lot of the VRBOs are not actually owned by the people that are VRBOing them. What the VRBO, mm -hmm. what these uh, investors, if you want to call them that, have done is they rent out properties for a couple of years and then they make them into VRBOs. So they're actually renting out somebody else's property that they don't own that they're actually renting themselves. 
I know that sounds crazy, but that actually is happening. But and and it has affected inventory. I mean, those houses 15 years ago, 10 years ago even, probably would have gotten sold until that model became so prevalent that people say, well, you know what, we're going to try that out. But it's interesting, our coaching clients that do prospect the VRBO, um, you know, owners and companies, they always get uh, a mixture. The ones that are, are managed well, they're going to keep forever. But there's a lot of people that really don't like doing that, especially if they, they've tried it themselves. And they realize that having a short-term rental repeatedly has a lot of wear and tear on the house. Then it's multiple rehabbing. Then you tell them what it's worth in today's market. And they're like, you know what? Why don't you come over and talk to me about that? Well, again, compounding what you said, the during the housing crash, you have reluctant landlords, right? Yes. People that couldn't sell the house, so they ended up renting it. I just always laugh every time I talk like that because I can imagine some agents thinking to themselves, oh, my God, there was a time when you couldn't sell a listing in two seconds. I know. That's always where my mind yes. goes. Right. And then, but now, now you have voluntary VRBO people, people that, uh, like Julie said, didn't, didn't uh, sell the property where they normally would have. But now they're realizing that the property is getting its butt kicked and they're realizing that there's uh, every time that you know property turns over having to pay a 10% commission plus a cleaning fee and all the rest of it, it's not what they thought it was going to be. And you're going to see a lot of these people, especially have – well, we're looking in uh, Amelia Island, right? Mm-hmm. We went there uh, a couple of marches ago or mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. And the buildings that we were looking in because we wanted to – I ran a place just for a week right on the ocean – and almost all of, like, I would say half of some of the buildings were VRBOs. Yes, for sure. And some, a lot of those owners, well, I'm going to go buy a, you know, really nice condo on the beach in Amelia Island, Florida. And the next thing you know, they discover that there's a thousand other people have the same thought. Yeah. And so it doesn't pen out it gets like saturated. they thought it would. Right. You get, and then yeah. they start having them, having the question in, the, in, in their minds, well, I'm going to lose money on this every single month. Why don't I just, when I'm going to Amelia Island, just, you know, rent a VRBO. Yeah, and cash out my equity now that it's worth more than I thought it was. Assuming I have equity. You guys see how you can have right. these kind conversations. Well, this, this, this is a whole thing. This is a whole spoke. The other thing that's happened to a lot of these VRBO properties is depending on the town you're in, they have regulations now that you yeah. are not allowed to or that you'll pay a big tax on doing it. And there are even, you mentioned Amelia Island, you know, there are certain buildings where you're allowed to and other buildings are not allowed to. I believe most, if not all of downtown Austin has ruled against it. And then there's other iterations where, you know, it has to be 30 days or less, or I'm sorry, 30 days or more. And if they find out you get taxed. So some sellers, of course, are tired of dealing with that, and that would make a good listing. Just Boy, saying. Boy, doesn't that make your skin crawl a little bit, truthfully? I know. Being told what you can do, can do or with not an do. Asset, a property that you own. I know. I, I'm not for all that regulation. No. I mean, and to say that's somehow the betterment of the community, that's not really the case. This reality no. of it is, is that's just – well, in, uh, yeah. in um, what was it, uh, Central California, mm-hmm. in Carmel-by-the-Sea, mm-hmm. didn't they try to pass a deal like that? Mm-hmm. You couldn't have any tenants for less than six months, and yes. then you had to register your VRBO. Yeah. And then uh, pretty much the neighbors said, we're not playing by Big those revolt. rules. They revolt. And then they reeled, they reeled all that back. But really yeah. what was the end game? They wanted to first have you start by registering your VRBO. And then the reason they wanted to register your VRBO is then those they uh, wanted to report on how frequently you were renting it so then they could charge you a tax. Exactly. And basically the owners revolted. And this is, you know, this is the kind of craziness that happens when, frankly, when governments get a little bit heavy-handed with uh, their ways yeah. of raising uh yeah. It's a whole tangent. We probably should do a podcast about um, VRBOs. What, at what's some the point. other one? Picasa, right? Picasa, yeah. That's another form of. In, it's kind of like a combination of institutional investors meets VRBO. Or more particularly, it's a timeshare meets. It, yes. Yeah, we're, we're talking about when we were. Uh, mm-hmm. Where what community? Napa, right? In Napa and Sonoma. And there were all those people that were uh, protesting against uh, Picasa. Picasa, yeah. And yeah, that was an interesting yeah. business model too. Well, so that's a group of investors that get together to own. 
a rental property and then they use it sometimes themselves like a timeshare, um, but then they benefit theoretically in the upside. So again, I think we probably should dedicate a podcast to that. Okay. So why else do we have low inventory? Well, we have point number six, institutional investors now compete with normal buyers. Just uh, yesterday, or I guess this was probably Friday, Predium Partners, a New York-based investment firm, agreed to purchase 2,000 of Zillow's homes and turn them into rentals. Now, those, many would argue, would at least go to a normal buyer, if not a first-time buyer, versus these institutional investors, which are gobbling up inventory. You, it said for sure they're going to turn them into rentals? Yep. Wow. That's right. At least for now. I mean, how long are they going to hold them? I'm sure each one has its own Well, model, let's see. If you're, we'll getting see. In prob- if you're buying 2000 at one time, they're probably getting a nice discount, and they probably can probably. make a nice cash flow. Well, and Zillow said that they were selling them at a, at a loss. Well, that's the only way Zillow knows how to sell a house, Julie. <laughs> no, because those estimates are so they, accurate. They, they don't want to sell at a profit. Good no. bet. That's not the business That's model. too confusing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Point don't you, don't you know what this estimate was on this? Anyway, <laughs> we could go on. All right, point number seven. 7% of sales last year were for sale by owners. 7%. That doesn't sound that big to most people, but I, I, I would say if you're not going after that very distinct 7% of sales. I'm getting out my calculator. I mean, how many of those do you need to work out? Are you using the yep. uh, I'm however using, many okay. sell per year? That's that's a ton of for sale by owners. 350,000 at least for yeah. sale by owners. So, you know, those of you who don't bother to stop by, pop by, you know, prospect, call the number on the sign. I'm just saying. And we we call them uh, unrepresented owners. Yes. You, you guys can use that that's too. That's what they unrepresented are. Unrepresented owners. Oh, by the way, if you've yep. not completed your 2022 business plan yet, definitely get that done. Perfect time of year, better time of year would have been a month ago. This is still a perfect time to get it done. We've made it very easy for you. Just text the numbers 2022 to 47372. Text the numbers 2022, as in the year that we're about to roll into, to 47372. When you do, we'll text you back a a fill-in-the-blank business plan. But it's not just that. This is a 63-page book that Julie and I wrote, and we, well, Julie revised it. And now you can download it. The first probably 75% of the book is an explanation of how to actually complete it and think about goals and go through the process. And the last bit is the actual fill in the blank plan. Don't delay. Do this immediately. Text the word, I'm sorry, text the number 2022 to 47372. Oh, and by the way, when you do, you're also going to be entitled to a free coaching call, a free uh, business plan coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So go ahead and text 2022 to 47372. Text 2022 to 47372. Yes. So again, all of those seven factors that have been driving inventory steadily down, equals supply and demand. So demand is high, supply is low, or as you would say, inventory is low. So factor number three, there's not a ton of notes on this because it's pretty basic to understand, and that is simple affordability. These are the factors that go into our predictions. Affordability, well, what's the breaking point? That's the big conversation is how high is too high. Now, I'm going to impress you with some research I did on this. So everybody is talking about the fact that interest rates are going to go up and the Fed's going to stop buying mortgage-backed securities and they're going to force interest rates up. And So that seems to be the prevailing thought. Um, And from what I read over the weekend and with what I've been listening to on different podcasts, the Fed can't raise interest rates. Because if the Fed raises interest rates, that means the Fed's going to have to raise the rate it pays on the debt. And the raising of the rate that it pays on the debt, even if I remember correctly, I wrote this down someplace. I may have messaged you with it, Julie. Mm -hmm. That if rates go up by 1%, the Fed's going to have to pay, I think it was an additional $330 billion a month or something insane, and just interest payments on the $22 trillion that we owe. 
So just by allowing the rates to tick up, the amount of money that's going to have to be spent just to satisfy the increase in the interest payment is going to be uh, essentially something that Staggering. the Fed can't do because that's money that's then not going to be able to go to, you know, buying all these different little governmental programs, you know. So this is the type of reason if you everyone's saying interest rates are going to go up. And the reason they're saying that is because we're entering into an inflationary time. And when there's an inflationary time, you raise interest rates to slow the economy down. You guys will hear a lot of conversations. If you're our age or older, you'll remember um, Julie and I only remember reading about it. We don't remember really the Ronald Reagan administration or Paul Volcker. But Paul Volcker basically became the Fed chair. He raised interest rates by raising interest rates, by making money more expensive. He slowed down the demand because fewer people could afford to buy whatever they were buying, right? The premise now is, is that the Fed can't raise interest rates because of the reasons I just stated. The difference is back when Paul Volcker came into uh, power running the Fed, the uh, national debt was nothing like it is now. So that's the variable no one's really taking into consideration. The Fed's got it. They're going to raise interest rates. Okay, well, if they raise interest rates, this, this is what's going to happen as a result. So the politicians are going to have to make a decision. Do they raise interest rates? and slow the economy down through making money more expensive, or do they just let inflation go? This is what I talked about with Peter yesterday. Yes, that's the, right. And so the answer is they're just going to let inflation go. That's what the belief is. And mm -hmm. now the thing that the Fed is now admitting to, and you guys do your own homework on this. We're only telling you what we've researched, is that they really can't control uh, the uh, inflation. inflation. They can't control it. So inflation is going to rise at uh, what was this? This is the first year in like forever that mm -hmm. they already said they're going to raise Social Security payments by 6%. 6%. So it's the largest single year increase in Social Security payments ever. Now, uh, that is something I did research that too. Mm -hmm. it, um, so Social Security payments automatically rise because the increase is uh, tied to some other, you know, uh, reading. So mm -hmm. it's not something that has to pass Congress is what I'm saying. Right. So if this particular... It's, it's baked into the rules. Right. It's like they, how they used to do uh, mortgage interest rates with LIBOR, whatever the London Interbank, you know, that then the interest rates are going to be a certain Tied percent together. over that. Right. But now it's baked into the rules. So the so they pay... Point being, it's never happened before. Yes. And we're going to see a whole bunch of never happens before. And they wouldn't be... I think your point is they wouldn't be doing that to Social Security if they didn't think that inflation was starting to run away. Right. There's a lot of people that are saying inflation already is double digits. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people also that are saying next year it's going to be over 20%. So... And yes. the, go ahead. Were well, you, save... The, we've got a thing about inflation oh, coming up. But, but that's points. okay. That's okay. So <laughs> factor number four, you're talking about interest rates. There's a few points that go with that, and then we'll probably wrap here. So number one, rates have been falling since the 1980s. It is a trend. You can see the charts and graphs. Point number two, rates are super low. Unlikely that we'll get much lower. The longer term trend, but very long term trend would be, of course, they would eventually go up. But point number three, low rates equal better affordability. The lower the rate, the more you can buy. $350,000 purchase of a house at 5% versus 3%. So study this. 100000 more at 3% for the same payment. That buys you a $450,000 home. So remember that as a buyer script because buyers will say, well, I'm going to wait till prices go down. Okay, but then you also say this is historically low interest rates. So there is no real reason to believe that prices will go down, period. That's the first thing you got to understand. Do your own homework, but that's the conclusion that we're coming to. That is a definite prediction. We're giving you our predictions. We should have called these. You should. We, uh, uh, oh, yeah, don't okay, work sorry. ahead. Oh, Julie. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> All right, do it. So number one is that there will not be any precipitous drop in home prices. Number two, the question that you then have to ask yourself is now it, with prices that seem inflated, because they are, is that, are the prices going to fall? No. The new, the new inflated price is the new price. 
So you have to ask yourself, ask yourself this personally and ask yourself this um, your, when your buyers ask you or your sellers that are moving up that have to buy. I'm buying into a very hot seller's market. Uh, is there a chance that I'm making a mistake? Well, obviously there's a chance, but the reality of it is, is that if they're going to be in that house for five or 10 years and they can lock in something at a low interest rate where the house is going to inflate, that's going to more than outpace the cost of the money to borrow, assuming they're borrowing the money, which they should be borrowing the money, by the way, because yes. the money's so damn cheap, which, by the way, is the antithesis of what Julie and I have always uh, you know, prescribed for people financially. But again, but if you, times are different. If you can borrow money at 3% yeah. right now and the house is going to inflate, according to Goldman Sachs, by 16%. You're ahead by you're a ahead. lot. You're living for free, basically. Versus even waiting a year. Even if houses cooled a little bit, you're still ahead after a, a year of appreciation like that. Again, if you just use Goldman Sachs prediction of 16%, and then some people are saying in 2023, things will level off between 4 and 6%. Yeah. You're talking about on the low end, someone that's going to be able to buy a house today and over the next two years, basically, have a 20% or greater increase in value. Not only are they going to not have a real interest that's been paid because the inflation will uh, make up for the cost of the, the borrowed money, but they're also going to essentially have covered more than covered the cost of actually holding the house and maybe even their down payment. So waiting is not good. Waiting is terrible. <laughs> okay, so I did find uh, economists predict that when we get close to maybe a 4% mortgage interest rate, we might see some cooling. However, Fannie Mae says that 33 to 3.5% rates will prevail in 2022 perhaps by Q4, might be a tiny rate rise. And even then, nobody predicted more than a quarter point, which all economists said would still have no effect on demand. Now, maybe due to inflation, depending on how bad it gets, maybe they jig jigger with that a little bit more, but probably not, because to your point, it would cost too much money to do it. You will see rising rates in consumer credit cards. You will see rising rates in some different things like that. But not with, again, you, not Fannie, Fannie Mae said it for us. 33 to 3.5% is what they're predicting for 2022. Which is really, I mean, you remember when we bought our first house in the early 90s and, and both our dads are like, God, with 7%, you ought to be buying now because we've never seen it that low. And, and when our parents bought in the late 70s, they were paying 18 to 20% interest. Yep. And they still bought, which is just crazy to think about with, you know, 3.3% right well, now. Well, let's just go full circle. I mean, obviously, we're talking about owning a home. We're talking about inflation. But the rents are supposed to be rising by at least 10%. I got a point so, on that. Okay. Well, I won't step on your future <laughs> okay. point. But that's that's another thing to that's drill right. back that's down right. upon. Rents are going to increase. All these things are increasing. Not going to increase. They are increasing. So we're basically making a little bit of our, our, uh, our what we're walking into here is our predictions. You guys can kind of see where we're going with our logic. Bottom, We're doing the education piece first. Right. And this is information that Julie spent a lot of time on. I just would say occasionally, you know, send her a little, you know, suggestions here and there. This is designed to give you confidence. Confidence comes from knowledge. Ignorance equals fear, right? And that, then with this information, you will feel more confident about your business, your the future of your business, the real estate market next year, the potential for you to make money, right? All these good things and help people. Mm -hmm. But also the real our real intent is for you to take this information then and educate other people. Primarily your customers. That's right. So you can have educated conversations. And honestly, so you won't be subject to random headlines that you see that may or may not be well-researched or trying to take you in a particular direction. Because, guys, this time of year into first quarter next year, just pay attention to this. You guys will laugh when you start noticing this. Nine headlines out of ten with regards to real estate are going to be intentionally designed to cause fear. Because that's what happens every single year. Yep. There's still scars healing over from the real estate crash. 
And this time of year, when the markets slow down, because it's this time of year, right? Holiday season. You're, and you have yeah. next year, you're going to have a midterm elections, and there's going to be all kinds of political crap and inflation, blah, blah, blah. People are going to be very easily manipulated to click on a headline that is, uh, you know, foretelling some sort of, you know, dystopian future about real estate prices. The human Don't brain, buy it. The human brain naturally gravitates towards negative news. We've talked about this on our podcast before. And it's okay, that's the way it is, but make sure you're going to, look, you guys can read it because maybe in some cases you should be reading the negative news, especially as it pertains to housing. But do your own homework, balance it out. A lot of people are just trying to manipulate you for whatever reason. Well, look, look at just this interest rate thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you've heard a million times people saying, well, you know, rates aren't gonna be this low forever. Wait until next year when they start raising interest rates. Do you actually do your own research and know that Fannie Mae itself said 3.3 to 3.6? Or do you just buy into that headline? Yeah. You know, you have to do your own research. So well, we'll continue this tomorrow. If you don't believe, uh, this this goes to the core principle of why you and I present our information the way we do on the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Educate, motivate. Uh, motivate, and get people into action, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So if you are a real estate practitioner, you are a small business owner, you are an entrepreneur, some of you more than others, and you don't believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today. You believe that tomorrow is going to be darker. Tomorrow is going to be, you know, harder to sell houses. Interest rates are going to be higher. There's going to mm -hmm. be blood on the streets, all these dystopian type visions. If you believe that, what actions are you taking today to make it so that those aren't true for you? Those things, That's those right. realities don't become your reality. The more you think about it, and I don't mean to get secrety on you and all that because Julie and I are not into woo-woo, but there is something to it. The more you focus on one particular, you know, thought, the more your brain is going to start tuning into that frequency, look for more reinforcement of that. And the next thing you know, you've made that your reality. Well, it's called subconscious confirmation bias. You don't even know that you're kind of seeking that out, but you're sort of looking for that to reinforce what you just thought or read. I was telling you an example. We mm -hmm. went on our walk this morning. Julie and I are going to, Julie and I are, we look for things that make us feel dumb. I mean, yes. honestly, uh, this one will do it. Yeah, this one will do it. So we go Wednesday. We're going to a thing all about crypto. And trust me when I tell you, nobody really understands crypto. And the more confident someone is explaining to you about crypto, the more they are full of shit. That's what I've discovered. <laughs> or at least sus. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're sus, right? Yeah. So the more confident someone speaks about crypto, the more you have to be, you know. So we're, we got invited for reasons I don't know. We got invited to this <laughs> Very, you know, exclusive. So where we live in Dorado, supposedly the largest percent of, uh, you know, bulk crypto owners live where we live. So in, in this community where we live, there are people that are some of the original, like, Bitcoin, you know, millionaires and whatever. This is all bizarro. But Not really in our wheelhouse. Not in our wheelhouse. We don't know anything about it. We talk with them, you know, sometimes we sort of understand what they're saying. But again, the conclusion, and we talk to other people too, like mm -hmm. explaining this crypto thing. People are sort of maybe in between where we are and we're like, we're, we're ignoramuses and, you know, they're sort of, and, and the conclusion is, is no one knows. That's really, so we're going to this thing on Wednesday and this thing on Wednesday, which I'm sure was going to be a, 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 just a feast for the eyes of all the oddities that we're going to see. And we'll be talking about <laughs> on this podcast. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. That's the only reason I wanted to go for the people watching. Absolutely, I'm I'm thinking Ford script for everybody. I, I don't know if it'll I, I don't know if it'll work in that, that crowd. That, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, little get together we went to in Seattle in August. That was of amazing. All, of all the Microsoft old school Microsoft yes. executives, where what what sound was that? Was that Putrid sound or what was that that we were on? Puget, not Putrid. Pug no, it was Putrid. The view was it was cloudy that day. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were like ten houses down from Bill Gates' house, know, in this massive mansion, yeah. and all these Microsoft people. They were the, I mean, we were warned before we got there, the person that invited us. Yes. They were really bizarre. 
They, yes. were, they were maybe not even human. There were some of them, I think, were robots. It, it was interesting. And they were so rude. It was awesome. <laughs> it was definitely a challenge to the Ford script. Soon as, yeah. right, so, right. It was so, good practice, though. They're like, I don't want to talk about my family. Oh, you don't know anything about tech? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm out. But it'll be interesting to see if on Wednesday it's a similar experience. Yes, but, could be. So Julie and I seek out places that we're ignorant, and we look for the information to backfill it. Or what we really do is Julie and I will ask, like, what, what are three things about, say, for example, the housing market next year or inflation or this or that, the other thing that you absolutely believe are true, right? That you die on the hill to defend. And then she and I will talk about those things yeah. and then we'll write those things down and then we'll try to go out and prove that we're wrong about our theory. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's how you do it. And that's kept us out of trouble, frankly, because it's too easy to uh, essentially um, wall in your thoughts, wall in your life. Mm -hmm. reinforce all of it, and then you have generations pass. And this goes back to the little point I was trying to make, is that if you are believing that tomorrow is going to be worse than today, you are going to do things to instill your, that tomorrow is going to be worse than today, and then you're going to lose a generation. There are people mm -hmm. that we run across in real estate who are still licking their wounds from the housing crash. That is very true. For sure. Mm -hmm. And they've already missed they've already missed another a decade. A cycle. Yes. At least one, right? Mm -hmm. And so Julie and I are looking for other things that we might be missing and we're always going to share those things with you guys too so hopefully you appreciate it so take this information share it with other people be the beacon in the storm of confusion that's inevitable for 2022 mm -hmm. uh, you know you're going to have all kinds of different things that are going to happen societally do your best to stay focused stay myopic right have tunnel vision about what your highest and truest purpose in this planet is which is be a service to other people so julie these were great notes thank you and we're going to continue it this will probably be this week's theme and also, you know, as things develop going into next year, there could be other things that bubble up. We're going to update that and make sure we keep you, you know, frosty. And when we get to our predictions, we're going to give our prediction and tell them why we might be wrong. Yes. Okay, good. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. All right, good. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.